This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. Green flag flies and the Sancio Grand Prix of Road America roars into turn number one. Alexander Rossi slicing left and right to try to protect all the lanes, but he does a great job. He's got the race lead exiting turn number one. Joseph Newgarden slots in second. Mark the entire field nice and clean through turn one. As we have a move for that third position, Erickson bangs wheels with Alex Pillow. That will force Alex Pillow with front left tire damage into the gravel trap. Looks like Alex Pillow's day may be done, so contact with that move with Erickson and Pillow, the teammates contact. He's down and away, but Joseph Newgarden will win the race off of pit lane. Colton Herta also down and away. Nick Gilman, can you confirm that to turn one? Absolutely. Joseph Newgarden getting up to speed on a new set of Firestone tires, and he leaves turn one about five or six car lengths ahead. So great work by Team Penske, Mark. Uh, when this all shakes out, he's going to leave Frog Rossi. And Joseph Newgarden has a pretty solid jump out of turn number 14. He leads Rossi. He leads Erickson. He leads Herta. He leads Grosjean to the start-finish line as the green flag flies. Three laps and 12 miles to end the Salcio Grand Prix, and the battle is for second. Here comes Marcus Erickson, the Indy 500 champ. He's going to shoot to the inside of Alexander Rossi. Elbows get very wide. The Swede takes over that second spot, and Mark Colton Herta is looking for third. The lead grows to 3.2 seconds off turn number 14 for the final time. When he crests the hill, he'll see the twin checkers. A dominant day for Joseph Newgarden. He leads 26 of the 55 laps en route to victory at the Sancio Grand Prix of Road America. And welcome to the program tonight. Trackside from Texas Motor Speedway. Thanks for joining it. Oh, oh, we're not. <laughs> we're not getting set for the June Texas Motor Speedway race, but it's 94 degrees at 702. We must be, Kurt, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, but alas, we're in Indianapolis or thereabouts. Welcome to the program. 93.5-1075, the fan, Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, Sam Rumsa is in the Emma's Communications Worldwide Headquarters. Um, highlights, courtesy of IndyCar Radio of the Santiago Grand Prix from Road America. What a, what a transition. <laughs> I, I was thinking Sunday morning that I don't deserve this. It's 63 degrees. It's sunny. It's perfect. I'm going to stay in Wisconsin. Got back here Sunday night. That's fine. Woke up Monday morning and thought about driving back to Wisconsin. Can, can I spend the next week there? Maybe it's hot it's not, too. Yeah, it's not just the uh, the temperature. It's the humidity in Indianapolis right now is pretty stifling. But, uh, oh. look, we got a lot of hot racing to talk about, and we're both in AC right now, so I think we'll manage. Yeah, this works out well with my schedule to, to virtually never leave the house, and I have not left the house since I got home on Sunday night. But a lot of things to get into at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cabin. On the program, already some good Twitter questions that will cover some of our topics. One of the drivers, I, I forget who it was. I probably wouldn't say who it was. It wasn't a an on-the-record kind of comment. But one of the drivers, as I was running through and chatting and getting last-minute info before the race, I remember mentioning to me basically that, uh, yeah, I'm not sure anybody's going to touch Joseph Newgarden today or the rest of the year. He's going to have it going on. And... Looked pretty good in this one. I think Rossi might have had something for him. It would have been interesting to see 
had he not lost some time on pit road on the first stop and it wasn't because of the team i watched the stop again today i didn't see any issue with the team it was simply they had to hold him for an extra couple of seconds as scott mclaughlin was coming into his his pit box but had rossi beaten him out that's one of the questions i would have would he have won the race yeah, it's difficult to tell. I mean, I, I still would have probably leaned toward Newgarden. He seemed to be stronger uh, throughout the run, although Rossi had a pretty good late charge in that stop or in that sequence ahead of his final stop. But, boy, I think uh, Newgarden not only has been good at Road America, it's about to get Newgarden season. The defending champion at Mid-Ohio, where he's won twice overall, He's won twice at Toronto, which is the next race on the schedule, July 17th. He could be in line to sweep Iowa, which has a doubleheader, July 23 and 4. He's won three races there. You know, Gateway, we know what he's done there. Three more wins, including the past two. He's won at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course, which hosts a race its second of the season in August. Yeah, I think... um, he may be long gone pretty soon. But you know what? We thought uh, some other drivers might be long gone at this point earlier in the season for a variety of reasons. And Marcus Erickson is back on top of the point standing. So, you know, Marcus has been really consistent here over the last month. But Joseph, it's 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 Joseph time. And, and uh, we may be all just watching, you know, the third championship in, in what, six years, five years, six years, I guess. It's, it could get ugly early, as they say. You know, as I, I think back to this weekend and the last few years at Road America, a thought just came to my mind. How was there not an IndyCar race there for a decade? That that yeah. seems to be, you know, if we're ranking strongest events and best events, it's got to be top five. It's got to be really high up there for many, many reasons. The racing is pretty good. The atmosphere is fantastic. Uh, the, I would say, fan experience of doing more than just seeing, it's not like there's a lot of things in the area, but there's a lot of things to do at the track. You can be at the track for three straight days, and I don't feel like it gets repetitive because there are so many different places that you can go, so many good vantage points. The village area is unique that, you know, especially if you're from a big city, it's kind of fun to go a little little town like that. And the IndyCar community kind of takes it over for the weekend. But, man, I'm going to tell you, that's one that I feel like every IndyCar fan should go to at some point. And you didn't even mention the concession stands, which are outstanding in terms of the food and the selection and the brats and the and the brew. I mean, it's just it's got literally everything. And. And somebody mentioned over the weekend, and I one of the drivers just maybe it was I don't I can't remember. One of them said, "Hey, usually, usually we just have bright sunshine here. We actually have overcast today, which is rare. But the weather always seems to be good, and the humidity is always down. I think that's the other thing. And the experience that you talk about is highlighted by the fact that just that anyone can rent a golf cart." And you can rent that golf cart and drive around as if it's your own personal car. And you can go to different points of the racetrack. You can see different things around the different campsites. You can be on the front straightaway. You can be back behind, uh, you know, the garage area, the paddock. So you can you can go to a lot of places with that golf cart. And the property is so large 
that you could pretty well entertain yourself just with a golf cart. So that's a unique or a bicycle. Take your bikes and uh, and ride around. It's it's really special in that respect. And as you mentioned, the uh, the, the town of Elkhart Lake has got enough enough cool features to it, and so that's that's really interesting. And you know, from a from a television standpoint, and we'll probably get to TV ratings later in the show. It's a good watch. I mean, the straightaways are long enough that you can you can have some passing going into turn one and and turn five particularly, and and down that hill running down toward the what I would call the backstretch uh, through the carousel and all the way down to Canada Corner. So it's 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 pretty spectacular. And as Russ Thompson noted, uh, the elevation change there not only is more significant than you would expect, it's more so than any other racetrack on the IndyCar schedule, even more so than Laguna Seca, that when we watched that race and coming down out of the corkscrew, you would assume that that no other place has as much change as that, but uh, Road America does. That's a big hill going up to turn six, and it's a pretty big climb out of Canada Corner as well, coming back up kind of those little S's up towards turn 14 then obviously the hill going up uh the main straightaway is massive that is a big big hill and the other thing i would say about you know thinking about whether you want to go to a race is all right what's there to see more than the indycar race and we've talked about road and street events one thing they have is they have more support races it's hard to have a lot of support races on oval tracks but i would say the support races at road america are potentially the best that we see on the calendar. I think the IMS road course support races are pretty good because the the junior formula cars have a better chance of passing and can go three wide in the turn one. You can pass on the inside and outside. So while there is some passing in IndyCar, in the lower formulas, there cannot be anything but passing because they get a bigger draft. And it's three wide, usually two or three rows deep, going in the turn five, Every single lap, uh, and usually in a turn one, and then there's a passing attempt in the Canada corner as well. So, you know, as I obviously was was around watching support races, there are a lot of people up against the fence and in the grandstands at 9.30 in the morning on Saturday morning or at the end of the day on Saturday afternoon because they, they know support races are entertaining. So it's it's not just watching cars go around, and no disrespect to mid-Ohio, but at Mid-Ohio, in it, the race is going to be won in qualifying for USF 2000, Indy Pro 2000, and Indy Lights. There's just not a lot of passing when there's not pit stops that are going to be done. That is not the case at all. You do not have to start up front at Road America to be able to make your way forward. So just, just a thought if you're thinking about something, the future moving forward. All right, let's talk about the race and, and what we saw. And we'll kind of go, I guess, in order as far as the action is concerned uh first big one i think we saw which happened first power or no the the alex pillow marcus erickson contact was the first one that we saw with with championship contenders alex pillow was pretty clear in his thoughts now he hadn't had a chance to really look at other video it was shown to him while being interviewed but i think he was interested in seeing that uh, my thought and the analyst thought was that Marcus Erickson was within his rights to make that move. What did you see? Absolutely. I I thought 
a couple things were telling. One, Marcus Erickson didn't have any squirrely moments. He drove through the corner. I mean, he. I don't know if it was the preferred line. We could argue that or debate that, but he got through the corner without having, you know, sometimes a car will wiggle, the back end will come loose. It gets a little, uh, you know, rambunctious through there, but none of those things happened in this case. He drove right through the corner. Second of all, the contact, Erickson was just about clear of him completely when the contact came. I mean, it that is clearly Pelot's left front tire hitting Erickson's right rear, and and in most circumstances, if you if you see that contact, you're not blaming the guy who's in front. You're blaming the guy who turned in. So, look, I haven't been a race car driver and wouldn't pretend in this case to be an absolute on this one. But if I were voting, I would say, as you mentioned, the, the phrase you just used, is, I think, is appropriate, that Erickson had every right to be there. Now, I think the question is, that's what, middle of lap four? And, you know, that's two teammates. So you could say, hey, could if you're that much quicker, can you just get me, you know, in the run through the carousel and down the kink and through the kink and, and down the down the back straightaway to Canada Corner? Or can you just wait a few minutes? And I think if I'm Polo, maybe that's a better argument. I'm not saying that's the right argument. I'm saying that's the only yeah. defense. And you're right. That's Polo's argument. And the reason he likes that argument is because then the chance to make the move would be gone. So what I think this says is that uh, Marcus Erickson is not just going to be a happy-go-lucky guy. I've won the Indy 500. I have proven that I am much more than I was in Formula One. I am content to be a part of this fantastic team with three uh, race-winning drivers that are up near the front in the championship. No, no. I'm going to have the mindset to do what needs to be done to win the championship. And Scott Dixon would have needed to do the same thing. Alex Pillow would have needed to do the same thing. If you want to win the championship, you have to make that move. If you don't, if you just want to make sure everybody's happy on the team and get along and, you know, have a, a one, two, three driver, then you stay behind. But when you're that far in front, I feel pretty strongly that that was his opportunity to take it and i understand Pelot is going to be annoyed but if you don't pass there he's gone you you've got well i just talked about passing it's more in the junior formulas it is still difficult to pass especially on equal cars it's one thing to to pass someone who is in a car that's not handling as well but a ganassi on pass is only going to happen on a restart early on turn five is probably your last best chance to get it done and that's one of those where, okay, Alex can say it's lap four of the race. Well, I think Alex should probably himself it's lap four of the race. He was ahead of me going into five. Easier said than done, but you need to figure out a way to get on the brakes a little bit more and tuck at, back in behind him and make sure you only lose one spot going to six. So I'd be interested to see if we got an honest answer from the team, how they feel about that. You know, it's probably back to, I don't care, you guys sort it out. Just don't hit it. Uh, and in this case, they did. But I, I suspect that, that they probably feel okay with what Erickson is thinking. I think so, too. Erickson, uh, it, it looked pretty clean. Uh, he didn't initiate contact. Again, he made it through the corner unscathed. And by that, I mean, 
you know, he made the corner as a kind of a proper turn in. Uh, but, you know, it'll be, it would be interesting to know what the, uh, what Polo felt after, let's say Monday morning, did he have a different perspective after having sat on it, talked to the team, mm-hmm. watched the replay? My sense is that if the next time we get to talk to him and that's probably, you know, not going to be a subject matter given it's three weeks until mid Ohio. But if there was a race this weekend and we had a chance to talk to Polo, I think he would probably say, yeah, it, it's just one of those things that happened. Oh, it'll be asked again. It has to be asked again. I'll it, ask him. It it will be, but but it'll it will have lost a little bit of its enthusiasm, and as opposed yeah. to the race being next weekend. So that was the first uh, incident, and then the second was Willpower versus Devlin D. Francesco. This one's a little bit more difficult to look at uh, because I don't know that we saw everything that happened, but yeah, pretty much if you're the one in behind that gets into somebody, that's um, that's why you're going to be held responsible. Will wants Devlin Park. He said that to Marshall Pruitt uh, uh, on racer.com. And I should probably get into just kind of the conversation I had with Will on the Peacock post-race show. So it wasn't on the NBC show. So you have to go to Peacock and – and one of the Twitter questions that we had, so I'll go ahead and knock that out of the way here, was is power going to be penalized for the cool-down lap uh, contact? I'm trying to find the exact question and who this was from. I'll find it. But but he apparently gave uh, DeFrancesco a hip check on the cool-down lap and this is one of theirs where I think in our next conference call, I'll ask if I can get a little help on that. Uh, and it's ultimately my responsibility, but here's how this goes. I should have asked Will Power about that. Why did you hit him? Um, and, and should have asked Devlin as well. So when I watched the broadcast back, I had just finished the Marcus Erickson interview and immediately as I'm finishing, and we're really kind of down to two pit reporters because victory lane is so far away that Marty's over there and he's not able to come back. So it's between Dave Burns and I, and we knew we needed to get to willpower. We had already made that plan. We had a camera to watch willpower get out of the car because he had said something along the lines of wait till I get to D Francesco. So I said, Hey, let's make sure there's a camera there. And then I'll hustle back to talk to him. So as soon as I finished the Erickson interview, I'm hearing in my ear, get to power now hustle. So that is muting out much of what's being said on the air. And even with that, and, and then I'm, I'm walking quickly and I don't have my little monitor next to me because they usually don't keep up with me very well. Uh, so I didn't see it and it wasn't even really verbalized. So that's one where we need to, in quality control, make sure that we all know what's happening at that point. So I had no idea that this has happened. I would also uh, verify what Nathan Brown wrote in the Indianapolis Star today, that Will had a pretty good, calm interview with me today. And he mentioned some some conversation going on, kind of muttering. And I couldn't hear that because I had headphones on. But his wife, Liz, was doing a fantastic job of right before I went on the air, whispering to him. And I'm sure it was, don't say anything. Don't say anything bite your tongue here. You work for team Penske. You need to make sure that this can get out of control. And also 
remember, you just ran into the guy on track, so you probably don't want to exacerbate this anymore. Try to lay low as much as you can. Uh, but I just thought I pointed out, I, I think I should have asked him about that, and unfortunately, I didn't see it, so it is what it is. I don't know how you could have known. Um, uh, certainly, I have more insight to your uh, travels up pit road. I mean, you have to kind of be on the hustle to get to the drivers that you need to get to. And it wasn't, it wasn't like on the broadcast, uh, you could see this coming and then, uh, then it was play by play from the booth. And, you know, then it clearly would have made all the discussion, you know, in the seconds afterward, we saw it. Uh, we expected, it, I think to some degree, especially cause they were running, together on the racetrack they were in that little group and i kept thinking if power is going to get up to de francesco because he was he had gotten knocked back by contact or at least forced off the road uh with with renas vk uh that if he got up there something like this might happen and indeed because they finished 18th and 19th on the race that is what happened but a little hip check i don't know if he'll be if he'll be punished uh it wasn't damage to the car it clearly was, you know, they were both in a straight line. That doesn't excuse it. I'm just kind of thinking through how this might happen. He'll probably get a little uh, comment from from the head honcho. Uh, but, you know, I'm sure he was in the transporter at some point before he left the property. But I don't think we'll see anything more come of it. Um, I would have liked to have seen essentially the whole lap. Uh, because there was an issue in turn one, apparently, from the standpoint of DeFrancesco. I believe he said that, that Will had, had bobbled or gone off a little bit. I can't remember what he said exactly. And then they had contact in turn three. And then and we saw was, that. And we saw that. And there was some yeah. jockeying back and forth between which line does, does Will take going into turn or approaching turn five. So there was a lot going on between start finish and turn five you know if we could have just had the camera on those two for for those uh five corners i think we would have a much better perspective and i think when it's all said and done probably the right outcome came uh but i don't know that it was a hundred percent blame on de francesco um but certainly he initiated or or at least misjudged will as he tried to come back to the inside and, and when you're the one who made the contact, whether the guy brake checked in front of you or the guy was going slow and you just misjudged it or whatever the circumstance was that, it, that caused it to happen, chances are you're the one going to get the penalty since power was the one spinning into the, into the uh, outside wall. So all those things considered, I, I understand why the penalty came for DeFrancesco, but I don't know. Without seeing all five corners, I'm not sure I can say that it was 100% on, on Devlin. I guess ultimately when IndyCar has to make that ruling, they really can't, you know, unless you see that something was worthy of a penalty in turn three, that wouldn't give you the right to take somebody out in turn five. So the only way they're changing that is if they determine that Power was guilty of blocking, that he moved in reaction to, and I'm not sure that he did. I think he was just adroitly defending the middle of the track to where you really couldn't fit up the inside and to go around the outside, you were going to have to go a long way around. So that's, they made the call that they did. And it's probably 
the right call in that circumstance. Jeremy from Harrisburg actually asked the question, too, on whether power will get a penalty for the post-race. That's not something we see in IndyCar, something that is fine in NASCAR, but we just don't see that kind of thing. I'm sure it's happened, but it's been a while. Uh, So I don't know how that's handled. Well, and I'll just give you some insight into Jay Fry. He he doesn't believe that his his stance is if there's going to be punishment largely uh, and I say punishment with with big quotes uh, that those things are handled you know privately that those Quiet, things are handled yes. you know not to embarrass the team and the sponsors and not to make this more of a media circus than than probably it already was uh, I want to go back to what you talked about with Liz uh, will's wife making you know some kind of a calm down gesture or or verbiage to will i thought he handled it really well with you uh he he was he said look he said this is a guy that um you know has had a few incidents but you know he he kind of was very very uh, mature about the uh, you know certainly Mm -hmm. uh different maybe than he would have handled that in years prior uh but then and when i started to read what other people had written um, and the quote that he gave Marshall, you know, then I started to, to wonder, it didn't sound like the same person, uh, or maybe he had more time to think about it, or indeed, as you mentioned, probably uh, Will had a chance or someone had a chance to say, you know, choose your words carefully here. You're the veteran. He's the rookie. He had been talking to other reporters when I got to him, and maybe even before Liz had really gotten to him. And by the way, to those that don't know, Liz is not just his wife. She is a former PR representative, uh, met Will when they were working for KV Racing. And then yep. and then after she worked for Dreyer and Reinbold and has worked for other teams and was very good at her job. She was one of the really good ones at her job. So she was doing not just like what a wife would do. She was doing what a good PR rep would do. And I know we all want fireworks and we want drama. And this is kind of the challenge in all of that. Yes, it's. It's good for uh, potential storylines, but these are corporate spokespeople, and it's not good for representing sponsors and teams with a lot of partners. So that's what that's the dichotomy in all of this, that um, we want to see the fireworks and the total honesty, but it's not really good for their business to do it in most cases. Uh, one clarification, I think they actually met when they were working for uh, Derek Walker at Walker Motorsport yes. Walker Racing. Yes, thank you. Yes. So that was with the Team Australia bunch uh, that Derek Walker ran. So they, they even go back further than that. But, uh, you know, and, and, and another thing, you know, I think it was handled properly. If he wants to say what he wants to say, it's better to say that to the print reporters rather than to say it on the television in a video that's, mm-hmm. that plays over and over and over. You yep. know, it's just like his uh, reaction at New Hampshire years ago when he gave the double bird. Uh, that that video and the still photos that people have made and utilized since then, you know, that would have been, had he just gone up and complained to myself or Robin or, or someone else about about that moment, it would not have had the same impact as visually yeah. uh, seeing it. And we see this all the time with, with things, you know, if, if you're going to, uh, if you're going to do something that's, that's going to be outrageous, get it on video and, and it, it has a better chance of, uh, of having impact. But uh, I think, you know, 
in this case, it probably went as well for Will as he could. He was he was calm and mature and and very seasoned on camera. And he let his frustration be known in print where it didn't have the same impact, at least from a from a total audience perspective. All right, we'll get to more of your Twitter questions. A lot of good ones coming in at Kevin Lee 3 at Kurt Cavan. So much more to recap from Road America as we hit the midpoint of the IndyCar season. Trackside, 93.5-1075, The Fan. Hi, this is Justin Newgarden, and you're listening to Trackside. One driver has won more than one time this year. Gardner's won championship that's marcus erickson with his runner-up fin he's plus 27 power ward yeah below fifth yeah kevin's uh got a little choppy there so you know i'm not sure exactly where you're going with that but joseph now with three race wins marcus has had a really good stretch here this this uh four race stretch his average finish is 3.5 3.5 in the last four races including the gmr grand prix the indy 500 and then detroit road america the last two weeks the only other driver that's had four straight top tens in that stretch is felix rosenquist interesting enough the two swedes i guess as they're now known as the tall swede and the short swede uh but the swedes have been uh kicking some uh kicking some tail well, I've learned that the internet in Hendricks County doesn't work when it's over 92 degrees. <laughs> so we're going to have to make accommodations for that moving moving forward. So we will do the best we can through the rest of the program tonight. And when you don't hear me anymore, just raise your hand and start talking. So then, then I'm going to put it up to you and I'll just take the rest of the night off. I like that plan. Yeah, it's a good plan. Get paid all the same. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think we're doing this for the money. We're doing this because we we enjoyed it at this point. Uh, let's get to some more Twitter questions that have come in recently. Uh, Vincent1701 asks, it seems to be the theme this year in sports to have larger crowds. Do you think this will continue for the rest of the year? Maybe. You know, I think part of that, in, in my mind, could be just that for two years, we weren't allowed to go anywhere. You know, that's kind of been my hope about Toronto coming up soon is that, you know, yes, I know the event was gone for two years and we're concerned about that, but I'm hoping that it's big and does really well because Canadians were locked down even longer than we were. And this year, these, these last few months have been the first time that they've been allowed to, to be released. So hoping that's the case. And I think there could be something to that, that live sports, you know, television is great. Uh, and, and there are some advantages to that. But there's still something to be said about going to things and getting out of the house and doing things. And the great thing about technology now is you don't really have to choose. You can still watch television on your phone or your device and see replays in most cases, although it's a little challenging in Road America. That's probably the worst place we go to as far as Internet, other than Avon, Indiana, um, to, to be able to watch things. But, but you can kind of do both now. Vincent also asks... Heard that the pre-race was not shown in Indy, IndyCar's largest markets. How do you think the 500 and now part of Road America race telecast will hurt the Nielsen ratings? So I don't think that's going to have a big impact on on the ratings for Road America. I don't know what happened. Uh, that was one of the tweets that I grabbed. Apparently, WTHR tweeted something out 
they, they made poor Dave Calabro do it, I think, right before the race. They had some sort of an infomercial or public service program on until 1 o'clock Eastern time. And this is kind of why I mentioned last week, hey, make sure you get the DVR set for pre-race because we're actually starting before the, technically the pre-race is over. So maybe they thought they would only be missing the pre-race. I would think that's still not a great idea two weeks after the Indy 500, you know, where IndyCar rates the highest anywhere. I would think you could find somewhere else to put that program, but I don't understand the intricacies. My guess is the ball got dropped somewhere and someone missed something on that, but that's unfortunate. Somehow my DVR on YouTube TV, so I missed the pre-race. I didn't have that, but it started right when they were starting the green flag because I was afraid, you know, if it didn't come on until one o'clock that you missed the first three laps. And that's one of the reasons why when I started seeing my phone blowing up, I started pitching to the producers, hey, let's recap the power and uh, Pelot mishaps for championship leaders because our largest market, I'm not sure if they saw that because both of those happened in, in the last four laps. So that's how I sold that story to get on the air and show those replays. And they would have done that anyway. They like to recap big stories, but I was pushing for that because of that reason. So, you know, first the questions were directed to me. How can NBC do this to us? That's not NBC, each affiliate. And that's one of the, one of the only drawbacks to being on network television and why it's good to have a streaming service is because we see this virtually every weekend, one affiliate somewhere has something going on locally that they feel like they have to carry and they're not showing the sporting events. You know, unless it's the NFL or something like that, you run the risk of your live sporting event not being on network television. And the way it was set up, and I looked on, on YouTube TV's channel guide, and I don't know if all channel guides reflected this, but it said that the IndyCar race came on at 1 o'clock, and it didn't show the pre-race as being on the on the programming. So, again, if, I think if you – if you're back in, in headquarters at, at, at one of these stations and you see pre-race or whoever made the decision, let's, let's go higher than that, you know, we can miss pre-race or we can get the start of the IndyCar race at 1 o'clock, well, then maybe it's not that difficult of a, of a decision for them. I mean, just trying to think big picture and what they have to work mm -hmm. with. But it, we knew, you and I knew, and, and many of, of our listeners and race fans knew that the green flag wasn't coming at one o'clock. It was coming at 1255 Eastern time. So you would be uh, a couple laps in for sure at road America. And so anyway, that maybe that's, that made it an easier decision just to lose pre-race when you knew that the race itself started at one o'clock. You just didn't, you didn't have the, the color sheet as, as you and I know it to be, to know when exactly uh, green flag is. And I, I often will tell friends of mine who who are fans of the sport what time green flag is because if you know if they're trying to get to the streaming service if they're trying to get to indycar radio what have you they know what what essentially is drop dead they know you do some great great work in the pre-race show and they'd like to see that but ultimately they want to be there when the green flag drops and and as you know it's kind of a, a floating uh, sometimes it's five minutes after the broadcast comes on, and sometimes it's it's 25 mm -hmm. or 30 minutes. And in this case, it was 25 minutes. So unfortunate. And my guess is that they will try to find out what time the green flags are 
for yeah. in the future for that because I'm going to guess that didn't didn't go over very well. But no, I don't think that impacted the rating there. I do think and and one of the other questions that we had actually sent in after the show last week um someone I think pointed out pretty accurately Frederick Hurley, FT Hurley said regarding 500 ratings being down are we overthinking? The weather was nice, first Memorial Day since 2019 it was vaguely normal. A lot of people probably went to barbecues or parades or whatnot. Also, wasn't the race not blacked out in Indy during the pandemic? Not blacked out. And he's right. Those are all uh, accurate assessments. You know, I, I still think part of it was not enough star power at the end of the race. If we're really trying to figure it out, that last year had Elio Castroneves trying to win his fourth Indy 500. You've got that number four, and you've got still the most or one of the top two or three recognizable drivers in the sport, Elio Castroneves. This year... You know, I love Marcus Erickson and Pato Award, uh, but mainstream America doesn't know who they are. And those were the the people going for it at the end of the race this year. So I I think that factors into it a little bit. And and he's right, too, that you lost probably 0.1 from the race not airing in Indianapolis. It got a five rating or something like that, five, six, seven in Indianapolis. The years when it's been on live in Indianapolis, it's been like a 20 or a 22. So that's 100, 200,000 people at least. And you add in the fact that an extra 150,000 people went to the race that didn't go to the race in in 2020, and it was zero in 2019. 20, uh, no, I'm sorry, in 2021, and it was zero in 2020. 2020 was bad because it was August, and no one remembered that it was the Indy 500. But... It didn't change it from uh, massively, but yeah, you lose point one or so. And that's something that everyone has to decide moving forward. All right, what's more important? What's the best business model? Making sure we do everything we can to encourage people to attend this race that you cannot watch it live any other way. Or does it help the business if the rating is as big as it possibly can be? I'm not sure that the rating going up is going to be enough to change that thinking because, again, it's it's going to go from a three-point – I forget what it was. Maybe it was 2.7. It's going to go 2.7 to 2.8, 2.9 at best. I think the only way you lift the blackout is if you decide, no, actually, this is a good way to market this race to Indianapolis, that we think people will watch it live on television and decide, I have to be there next year. That's And I'm not smart enough to know what the answer is. I don't know what the right path is for that. I know this. Back in the day in the 50s, Major League Baseball teams would not allow their games to be shown live at home. And then eventually it was decided, oh, wait a minute, that's a three-hour commercial. Or at the time, it was two hours. That's how long baseball games were. And it was decided this actually will help market the game. People will watch on TV and say, I want to go there tomorrow. And that ultimately, I think, worked in baseball's benefit. It's worked in football's benefit. Now, IMS and television executives have to decide what do we think the best path forward is for this. Well, we we knew we knew where the Holman George family uh, how they how they sided on this discussion. Uh, now that Roger Penske has seen it now three different ways, with no fans there, with medium fans, and then full full capacity. 
it'll be interesting to see what his perspective is on on the greater good uh, versus thinking like just the promoter. And not that the Holman George family thought just as a promoter, but but Roger may have a different different uh, perspective on this. So, but ultimately, you know, it it. Um, it doesn't, as you mentioned, it doesn't make as much from a television ratings difference as you would expect. You would expect, at least in my thinking, that if if you drew a twenty-two versus a six, that 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 would be a a, a big difference maker in the Indianapolis market. You know, the market would make that much difference nationally, and it just doesn't. I mean, it certainly makes it a better number, but. You know, historically, so many of those race fans have gone home and, and then watched the, the replay, and that factored into enough of a, a bump that it didn't, you know, it didn't, it wasn't adverse. Uh, we'll have to see how Roger feels about this one moving forward. All right, we'll get to more of your Twitter questions and keep uh, conversing about the Road America race as we move on. Trackside 93.5, The Fan. Hi, this is Alexander Rossi, and you're listening to Trackside. It is time now for the Indianapolis Speedrome and Circle City Raceway news of the day. And I will admit, I don't have copy for specifically what they have going on, so I'm going to make it up the best I can. And maybe the reason there's no copy is because I would say this. Please support them because they have been hit so hard by weather in the last few weeks. We've heard the the promotion for these events and i keep getting emails that their event was rained out they've had at least four or five of them rained out so check the websites speedrome.com i know coming up this weekend they have many late model ovals figure eight street stocks going on on friday and saturday and at circle city raceway circlecityraceway.com it looks like they're off this weekend but coming up uh next weekend at the marion county fair championships with dirt car ump modifieds and more. So check circlecityraceway.com for more information there. What is our news of the day or the week, Kurt? Well, it's got uh, a busy week for certain at uh, things you can do. And one of those is at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the Brickyard Vintage Racing Invitational. Uh, that is up to 300 of the world's finest and most historic race cars competing on the road course. Uh, kids 15 and under are free with a paid adult tickets start on at $30. That's Friday or a Saturday and Sunday gates open at eight. One of the drivers are several recognizable names. One of those is Jimmy Vassar, who's going to be driving a 78 formula Ford with the target livery from his mm-hmm. 95 Indy 500, the red with black across the bottom. I've seen the photos of the car. You can read that story that I did you can read that on Thursday on, on IMS and IndyCar.com. But Vassar will be here. Jeff Brabham is another one. Uh, many names that you know from IndyCar past uh, will be present. And, and honestly, just the cars themselves are cool. I think they're the, the reason to, uh, to to make a stop. It's Father's Day weekend. Uh, most dads like to see vintage race cars. And they'll be on the road course Saturday and Sunday at IMS. I think Doug Bowles, the IMS president, I believe I saw on social media that he's going to get a chance to drive something again this weekend. That's cool. Jimmy Vassar in a Formula Ford. He was, I believe, the very first Team USA scholarship winner, and it was to drive a Formula Ford. 
uh, back in the day. So good, good for him. So that's our news of the day. And at CircleCityRaceway.com, nothing this weekend, but the Marion County Fair Championship for Ford Crown Vicks plus Hornets and UMP Modifieds coming up on the 24th. And also you can find out the schedule this weekend at Speedrome.com, including mini late model ovals and figure eights. Um, we'll get into some other tweets coming up in the next hour. We'll go and actually get out on time. So we'll do that. And we'll, we'll shock Sam back in the studio and get out on time and then have plenty of time in the next hour to chat about all the things we need to and more uh, social media commentary and recap of the race at Road America. And we'll start to look at the midseason too. Trackside 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Hi, this is Will Power, and you're listening to Trackside. Hour number two. Sam Rumsa is in the MS Communications Worldwide Headquarters. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, and other studios. Some with better internet than others. Thanks for joining us tonight. I think I may make another visit to the studio next week while well, my key card still works. Come in and visit and see how things are. I, we've had a lot of questions. Thank you. Uh, it's, it's public news. MS Communications uh, has sold their radio stations, and it becomes effective in a couple of months, and people are wondering, well, what does that mean for, for you and Kurt and the show? And the answer is, just like everyone else, we don't know. That's just kind of how, how things work. Uh, so I think we all hope that and this is I listened to the call with Jeff Smolian. My first thought was I, I really I, I feel for, for Jeff. Jeff's my friend. I don't see Jeff much anymore, but has meant an awful lot to an awful lot of people. And I know this was a I'm sure a very, very uh, difficult decision and a business decision to make because the Indianapolis radio stations have been his baby for over 40 years. So he had to make it uh, so. Now we hope for the best, and the thought would be that the new ownership group says, hey, we like what's happening over here. We're not going to do anything, and there's a decent chance of that. So that will be our hope as well, that everybody will just move over. There will be new, new ownership. I'm one of the few people that have been here, maybe the only on-air people that was on WIBC 1070 whatever before Emmis bought it going back to when I was an intern and on the air just a little bit. I think my first on air in 1993 was interviewing Walter Payton at, at an Indy 500 practice day. And that's another story in of itself there. Uh, so these things happen in our business. Um, but that that's the hope. I don't know if I was supposed to not speak about this publicly or not. I didn't get an email that said, don't speak about this. So apologies if I wasn't, but I don't think I'm speaking out of school that this is what it is. And, and there's, always the chance that this doesn't impact anything because this market needs a sports station. We're the only one. So I like our chances is how I will put that. Now we will go back to Twitter questions and more media. So I joke about how I get a lot of questions of things I have no influence over or cannot control. Here's one I answered where I've actually helped someone, Kurt. Brett Daru asked if the Toronto race is going to be free on Peacock TV or if it's a premium service. And I responded, I said, you know, my guess is it's part of the normal package. As much as we'd like everything to be free, unfortunately, the world doesn't normally work that way. And he said, yeah, I get it. You know, but I've already paid for cable. I'm just trying not to pay for anything else. So I said, well, wait a minute. Do you have Comcast? Because and this is probably good to remind people. If Comcast is your cable, you get Peacock Premium for free. 
I'm sure you need to sign up or do something for it, but it is free. It is included. And he said, I don't have Comcast, but I checked. I have Spectrum, and I get it free for a year with my cable. So if you have Spectrum TV, check and see, and you may be uh, able to get Peacock Premium, the mid-level $5 a month package, free for a year. So there you go. And I also wanted to mention, because unfortunately it's going to surprise some people, Kurt, when we get to that Toronto round, that is the only race of the year that is exclusively on Peacock. It's not on USA. It's not on NBC. It's on Peacock. And you'll need to, you know, if you don't have Comcast or Spectrum, pony up the five bucks if you want to watch us for that particular weekend. So don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't shoot the messenger. And the other thing is, uh, you know, we, this is really goes back to Mark Miles' defiance and saying, you know, we as a sport are not ready to go st all streaming all the time. In the last television negotiation or broadcast uh, discussions, in fact, the last two, uh, Miles has has said, let's pump the brakes. I think we can continue to move towards streaming, live streaming, maybe even exclusive streaming, but we're not there yet. So this is a kind of a, a trial, you know, a test case. Yeah, this is yeah. a trial and we'll see how this one goes. You know, and, and in some ways too, it's, so I remember reading and thinking that this deal, boy, I, I bet NBC is going to want multiple races on their streaming platform. They're, they want to sell subscriptions. You know, this goes back to the old days when ESPN2 was launched and ESPN put a Duke North Carolina game on ESPN2 and there was outrage. How dare you do this? But it's what helped get ESPN2 noticed and started to get it in more homes. So it's a similar kind of conversation there that if you really want to get some traction for this, same thing as it's been done with cable companies. It's why NASCAR put races on cable television because Fox and NBC both wanted programming for their cable channels. So it's part of this. And that was part of the negotiation. And some of that give and take went from multiple races to just one. And, but here we're seeing like this past weekend in Indianapolis, there is an advantage to having Peacock television uh, because the local affiliate wasn't showing everything that we wanted to see. Or what if you have storm coverage in your local market? On network television, they're going to that. So having a streaming service is a good option. And, you know, media nerds like me see what MLS, who I would otherwise not notice, that's Major League Soccer, just did their next TV deal for $250 million with Apple TV. And they're not going to, they're kind of tiptoeing in too, but that's most of it. They may still have a linear broadcast uh, partner as well showing some games, but the bulk of it is going to be on Apple TV now, I think that works better than motorsports because they have a younger audience. This is why you and I felt eh, we're not quite ready. And Mark Miles, more importantly, felt we're not quite ready for this. Because, for example, you saw the ratings that came out today. I just happened to notice 80% of the audience that watched the IndyCar race on Sunday is not between 18 and 49. Uh, I doubt they're all 2 to 17. My guess is that means 80% is pretty much 50 plus. And 50-plus is not going to be as keen to not everybody. We're 50-plus, and we, we know how to stream. But uh, some are just going to say, nope, if you're not on regular television, I'm not watching. 
I forgot that you got to 50 plus. I didn't realize. Well, I, I thought you. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm, I, I don't I didn't think so. That's going to be used against me when I get fired eventually that we need younger people. So I don't promote that. Okay. <laughs> so, um, and the other advantage, I think we saw it as a good example this, this weekend, and we've seen it several examples over the course of this season, is if you were watching on the stream, there was a quick break, maybe 60 seconds to two minutes, and the, on the graphic said, we'll be back. And then we had a post-race show of really some good information that came out of the post-race show that was only on streaming, and he didn't have to switch over. If you were on the stream, you stayed on the stream. Oh, it was on the same just, stream. Good. Yeah, you were, it were on the same stream. You didn't have to change channels. It, there was a graphic. It said you know, we'll be back or it had some kind of notation that let you know that the streaming was not concluded and you just stayed right there. It was like a commercial break and, and, uh, long enough to, to switch the channels and do whatever needed to be technically speaking. And it was a good deal. So, you know, I hear, and, and, and you get a lot of responses from people on social media as well. I hear far less complaining about it, uh, I think our fan base is getting there with regard to streaming and they're starting to see the benefits of it. And I think, you know, I think the difficulty for a lot of people is just, you know, navigating the apps. And I think, you know, so many of us have switched over to YouTube TV or something similar with apps on our screen. And it really is, is no different than flipping through your phone at this point. Once you kind of figure out how it works, uh, it doesn't take very long to kind of get in sync with where your favorite programming is. So maybe I'll address the rest of the Peacock questions I've seen over the last couple of weeks. And I have nominated Townsend to be in charge of all of this. And he does a nice little Q&A on his way home from races for his four-hour flight home. And one of the things that we were alerted to after Detroit was that there's not side-by-side -side on Peacock. So that has been, right. passed, that's been passed along to uh, our bosses who then have to pass it along to another department so they are aware of it. Um, we're the only sport that really has side-by-side -side because this is the only sport that that doesn't have stoppages in play. I guess the same would be uh, for soccer, but I'm told that they're aware of it. It's being efforted, but I don't know that it's going to change just immediately. There's more to it than, than I would understand and a lot of us would understand. So I'm, I'm hopeful that that changes at some point, but I, I don't know that that's going to change here immediately or this season. Um, and it probably has to do with, you know, how things are sold, uh, that if you start giving away commercials to people on Internet, then people that paid for them are going to be saying, well, wait a minute, why aren't I? I don't know. But there's, there's more to it than that. So that's that uh, situation there. Uh, one thing I have noticed when I was at home last weekend that I don't think was the case a year or two ago was it seemed in the past that you used to have, if, if you turned it on 12 minutes after a practice started, that's where you're at and you couldn't go back and you had to wait till it was posted to go back and start from the beginning. Not like most DVRs where you can start from the beginning. I don't know when it changed, but it changed. You can now flip on Peacock at any time during an IndyCar practice session or the race, and it'll put you in the middle, but you can rewind and go back to the beginning of it, which is the way I watch most television, and then fast forward through things. So that that is an option that they have improved on, upon. So they're, we're, we're getting there. So 
that's where things stand. And that's all I have to say on the television aspect. Oh, the rating. I don't think we mentioned that. Over a million again. That's good. 1.1 million. I think the early start time is good. Uh, you like to see that. So that that's a positive. I forgot how good the rating was last year on cable, over 800,000 on NBCSN. And what I would correlate to that is it was also a NASCAR weekend and maybe even the second NASCAR weekend. But I know there was a NASCAR race that weekend, so that always helps. So when you know that USA race at Gateway is the only other USA race in August, people are going to start to become a little more – they're going to have a better chance of finding USA because there are going to be some NASCAR races on USA. So it'll become more a part of the regular rotation. Uh, from – here was a good one. So normally I wouldn't have even answered this one, but I felt like snapping back a little bit. Uh, Alan tweeted me over the weekend, probably not a listener to the show, but said when I mentioned Marcus Erickson, I forget what I phrased, but did a story along of how much I think it was in a practice show that uh, one of the things that he's still adjusting to in IndyCar is I don't just have to accept the car as it is. You know, I can and his engineer, Brad Goldberg, was telling me this, that, no, we are encouraging him to complain. If the car is not perfect to your liking, let us know and we'll see if we can make it better. And then there does become a point where you just got to drive the thing. And he said Dario has been good with him on that, reminding him Dario was always very, very particular, just like Sebastian Bourdais was. And there's a reason what those guys have won eight championships because they are quite particular about what they want in the car. And I made the comment that, you know, Marcus is still adjusting to that because generally speaking in Formula One, once the season starts, the car is the car and the driver is not asked to develop that a whole lot. So Alan says, what makes you think F1 drivers are not asked to develop the cars? That is just ridiculous. So my answer is what makes me think that is that's what several former F1 drivers have told me. So it's not ridiculous. Uh, I'm sure that they do have some input in Formula One, but the point is that they have much more input here after the season starts in IndyCar than they do in Formula One. Formula One, you yeah, the off-season testing, the preseason testing, but after that, it's pretty much, yeah, here's kind of your car, especially if you're not the number one driver. It's going to be suited to the number one driver, and then otherwise it's pretty much shut up and drive the thing. Yeah, that, I thought it was an interesting perspective. And as soon as you said that, I, I thought back to a lot of examples where I've heard drivers say that, but I hadn't connected the dots, so to speak. So that that was good. Uh, by the way, the For the Love of Indy says that the Gateway race will follow the Xfinity race at Watkins Glen. So the chance of a good lead in is That's nice. strong. That's very strong. So good for IndyCar on that one. Doug Weglars took a picture and sent it to me of a golf cart with Sneaky Moose Motorsports on the side from Road America. I'm going to have to look into Sneaky Moose Motorsports. And I found a new Rocky and Bullwinkle sticker that we can put on Jackson's car for the next race. That's what we've been missing. We need the, the Rocky and Bullwinkle sticker to go back on. Brian at 500 Indy 1911. Uh, he, he tweeted, he said, this tweet may not, uh, may not age well, yikes, and it was from a few weeks ago when he asked us, although many are still mathematically in the hunt for the championship, I believe realistically it's down to the current top six, and it was give me your best argument for Rossi or someone else. So I think he was alluding to, yeah, I didn't really count Rossi as having a chance, and he sent this right after Rossi won the poll 
on Saturday. And, and Rossi does have a chance. But no, I don't think your original tweet, Brian, was that out of the ordinary. I think it really was six. It's still going to take a massive effort for someone like a Rossi or even Herta, who we, you know, after you brought him up, I agree that, yeah, I wouldn't surprise me t- to see him get on a run. But for those guys to jump like that, that means Joseph Newgarden, Marcus Erickson, Alex Pillow, Will Power all have to all have to have big slips in the second half of the season. Yeah, it's um, it, it's a long climb for for Herta, for example, and and even even Rossi. What is he back? Uh, you know, it's 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 significant. Um, he is almost seventy five back. Seventy five back in seventh, and it's really the seventh that starts to cause the problem because he's got to climb over Pato Award, Alex Pillow. Uh, Scott Dixon, you know, Joseph Newgarden, who we don't expect to slip. And and a guy like Marcus Erickson, we would not have – would have not pegged him for this kind of performance, consistent performance uh, at the start of the season. But, my goodness, he's he has continued to deliver. He's delivered on all different types of circuits. He's gone toe-to-toe with his teammates. And, you know, I started to write the other day that, it's you know it was even at Indy you know Dixon and and uh, and Pillow had the better cars, and and then I thought, well I don't know that I can completely say that because they've all been the same. Yeah, they might have all been the same. And the way he played that, he was a rocket ship in those final thirty laps. And if um, if Dixon would have would have come out of the pit stop clean, there's nothing to suggest that that Marcus didn't have a better car at that point in the race. So uh, I guess I, what I did is I kind of stopped short of saying that. And, and if Marcus continues his consistency and, I mean, he's not going to be averaging 3.5 the rest of the way, but you know, he could win another race and it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise us. I mean, he's the reigning champion at Nashville, for example, and he's now been to all these tracks multiple times. So he'll have a shot. If Dixon and Pillow didn't have their problems, it might have just come down to track position and who got out of the last pit stop the best if the other two did the same snaking procedure. You know, I I think this is another topic for next year. Uh, I think that's probably going to need to be addressed. Agreed. You know, to at least, you know, basically one way you can do it is you are putting a line from the attenuator from the pit wall dividing line on the main straightaway and saying you cannot go left to that. So I don't think you can stop proactively defending and trying to break the draft, but you can at least keep them from going like they would be heading into pit lane and stop it a little bit because one, that's dangerous. And two, it's not great for entertainment. And it really, it doesn't mean that you can't pass because Pato award almost did. And if Marcus Erickson wasn't brave and stuck into it as well, then maybe Pato does get by him. But I, I think that's something that would probably be addressed. And I I don't know, but I think they may address that and change that coming into next year. I don't I don't think it matters for the show from that standpoint, because I think what what uh, Rossi did, uh, you know, three years ago, uh, that that was just that was good tactical uh, I mean, Pagano. initiative. I mean, Pagano. Yeah, Pagano, I'm sorry, on Rossi. Uh, and in this case, as you just, I was ready to point out what you just did is that 
Pato almost got him anyway. And I think mm-hmm. had Pato not had Pato been Tony Kanaan and not worried about points, I think Tony Kanaan might have st- st- stuck his foot in it completely and stayed there and tried to pull it off. Takuma uh, Sato would have. <laughs> yeah, Takuma did, as we know in in 2012. But uh, so I think I don't know that it's the snaking, but it's the it's the unsafe i think ultimately we would find that it was unsafe and i think it was too pronounced yep uh lee at indy off he has a question we have an address that we need to he asks why no black flag penalty for erickson for running over equipment so he lost some time on i think his last stop it was the last stop it was his his last stop uh, and we had already cut away originally. I was calling the beginning of a stop and I was tossing it up to Marty because we wanted to see the race off pit road. So I didn't see it live until we went back to the replay. And one of the hoses, the, uh, the air gun hose got caught, I think on the outside tire and then stuck on the inside tire. And he started to leave and he stopped and bumped it and then waited and then they got it out of the way. So the reason I don't think he was penalized because he did not run over equipment. He touched equipment, but my interpretation of that would be he, with his actions and by being willing to give up the track position and lose three seconds seconds on pit lane, kept anyone from getting hurt. Um, because that's the biggest fear is that you just peel out there and then one of those things squirts and it weighs 35 pounds and it hits somebody in the head or 20 pounds or whatever it is. Um, but he didn't. So I think his actions and the team's actions by stopping him is they deserve to not be penalized. If you're going to penalize someone for touching it, then I think the reaction is going to be, well, if I'm getting a penalty regardless, then I'm going. I think I think you're right. They were essentially proactive. Uh, I'm just stunned that he was able to stop the car. I mean, I think – and I, I'd like to look at it a little closer. They had another car in either coming to the pit box in front of them or there was another car alongside of him, as I recall, from the moment. You may have to may have to fill me in or somebody may, may correct me on this one. I almost thought it was a reaction to that at first, but maybe the maybe the outside tire changer got his hand up because I don't know how he would have known the, the, that the, uh, the gun was there. Uh, but he did. He hit it. He didn't run over it. They essentially were self self penalizing because it cost him a couple three seconds, and I think it was the right call not to not to punish him. Uh, but I wouldn't have been surprised if they did. Now it's also possible this is one of those areas where sometimes it's a monetary fine that we don't. I see. think it'll be yeah. I think it'll be a monetary fine. So there are different degrees, but my thought would be his race does not deserve to be ruined for something like that where something went amiss, but their response to it kept it from being a incredibly dangerous situation. So I think the team deserves some credit there, and maybe by the letter of the law, there's some sort of penalty coming. But it, it normally, because occasionally, I believe teams have run over a hose before, and if nothing really egregious happens then it's simply a monetary fine, I think. I, I don't think it's always a drive-through or anything like that. It's just a monetary fine that, you know, maybe you see in the notations a week later or so. All right, let's get back to the race. And I'm going to talk about some others. 
Um, I'm going to talk about Felix Rosenquist and just kind of where he's at at this point. And I'm starting to think, I said this last week, I don't know what the team says. Maybe the team has already made up their mind of what they're doing. But if they cannot figure out a way to buy out the contract of one of these wow drivers like an Alex Pillow or Scott Dixon and entice them to come over, I think, I, well, I know what I would choose. I would choose Felix Rosenquist, and I think they may come to that conclusion as well compared to the other options that are available. Agreed. I just, you know, you just you just have a sense by watching everything that's happened this season with silly season that decisions have already been made. That's my fear. And they're they're playing out the string, but I'll say this, Felix Rosenquist and I said this just a little bit ago when your internet was hiccuping, uh, he's had as good a run here as anybody outside of Marcus Erickson since the beginning of May. He has four straight top 10 finishes. He has led laps. Uh, he conserved fuel and, and tried to stretch that number late in the Road America race, or actually throughout the Road America race. Made it work. Passed people, was charging, uh, made up time, and you know really came home in a great position in sixth, uh, fourth in the Indy 500, was in contention going to the last handful of laps. I think he's done a terrific job over the last month, two months. And the question is if uh, if a decision's already been made for him. Nathan Brown wrote in the Star maybe a few weeks ago was the first that I saw this, reminding us that McLaren is going to add a Formula E team next year. So that would be something that they could do and not be firing him. Uh, my guess is that that is not of interest right now to Felix that he's going to do everything he can to either stay with this team or find another ride in IndyCar uh, that maybe becomes an option down the road if he doesn't find another seat. But I, I just think there's going to be movement. I think that Felix might find another home in IndyCar, even if Errol McLaren decides that they're moving on. But unless they have one of those two big-name Ganassi drivers, you know, the other name tossed out there is Arenas VK. Uh, I if I'm Renus VK, I am being extra nice to Ed Carpenter these days. It's headed down the path it was headed last year. He's now back-to-back -back races and behind, I think four races in a row he's been behind his teammate, but he's been behind in the championship to Connor for the last couple of weekends. I know there's always more into it that I'm not saying that Renus is a flash in the pan and is not talented, but some of the sparkle is off at this point. He's in a pretty good position right now. I'm not sure that unless it turns around immediately, there's going to be as many options for him. He's got a high-level agent, manager, that maybe can help that process out a little bit, but he might be in the best position he can be right now. I don't know what the financials are. I don't know if um, his backers are still bringing a lot of money in this, and that, that factors into it if he can go somewhere else where he's not required to bring any money. But I'm starting to think – if somebody's hiring a young driver out there, I think I'm putting Callum Eilat ahead. Callum Eilat is really, really good. You saw what somebody else did in that car at Detroit last weekend, and then you see what Callum has been doing in that car. Uh, agreed. I was, I'm was. i with you about 90% of that. I, I don't know that I would say that because 
uh, Ferrucci didn't have the kind of Detroit weekend that that uh, Callum has had. I, I don't know that I would say that. I mean, Callum. It's not been entirely with the team. fair because he's not been in the program. But uh, I'm 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 becoming more impressed with Ilot each week. I think absolutely he's probably going to end up staying. But it's going to be the same situation. I don't know what the contract situation is, whether there's a buyout needed or not. But I think a few other teams are going to be asking if Callum Eilat is available. That I would agree with. The interest in him is legitimate. It went from curious to legitimate. And it's done so in a very impressive fashion. And, you know, this isn't, I mean, the on track will win out 100% of the time. But Callum has been a joy to be around. Uh, you and I have both spent time with him. He is excellent within the team. They they absolutely love him. And he has been, you know, from a media standpoint, just everything you could hope for. Uh, and, you know, his his crash at Indy, yeah, that's that's part of the big picture. But, you know, the way he handled it, the way he supported Santino at Detroit. I just think all these things, you put all the pieces together. Again, the off-track things are, are not the deciding factor. It's how you perform in the race car. But you put it all together, and Callum has had a terrific year. What I'm most rooting for is that he stays where he's at, and they can add a second car. That'd be yeah. fantastic. Because then I really think they can show what they can do. Because he doing it all by yourself as a single car team is there's going to be a ceiling of how far you can go. But if they have the budget to hire another competent driver, uh, then I, I really think that they can start to make some progress. All right, we'll get to some more things from the race that we haven't addressed yet. And any more of your Twitter questions at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan on Trackside. Hi, this is Mark Zerickson, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. And that's championship leader Marcus Erickson trying to become the first to win the Indy 500 and the IndyCar championship in the same year since... Pagano? Dario Franchitti in 2010, I believe. Oh, yeah, that's right. Pagano didn't. Pagano won yeah. his championship earlier, yeah. 16? Yep. 16, yeah. 16, and then he won the 500 in 19. Uh, but I believe Dario in 2010 was the last one to win the Indy 500, and that was probably pre-double points days. I'm sure it was pre-double points days. And then also won the third of his four championships. No. No, that might have been his... Dario won championships in seven, nine, 10, 11, and 12. 10 and 11, right? Yeah, nine, Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So 12 when he won the 500, he did not win the championship that year. So there you go. Okay, I want to talk about some other things. Let's kind of work reverse order um, for, from the box score. Wanted to note, and I know it's been noted in other media, but Pato Award apparently did not blow his Chevy engine. That's what he said and lost power but they did the they, well they it started again it started when they got back in the paddock so some sort of an electrical problem or otherwise so they will do some more investigating and that would be important to them because uh when you blow an engine early you're probably going to have to serve a six grid spot penalty at some point like colton herta did for 
the Lost Engine at Indianapolis. I don't know if that was for the Lost Engine or no, that actually be for the crash and changing engine. So once you get your race engine, if you don't run it to completion, you're going to have to serve a penalty. And apparently he has to serve another penalty later in the year as well, because you're only allowed, what is it, four engines or five engines over the course of the year. And once you go beyond that number, you start serving penalties. So I think he's going to have another one coming, according to what Marty Snyder was telling me. So we'll double check with the team as we get closer into that. So those were a couple of notes. And wanted to speak on Simona De Silvestro. I kind of forgot to mention her a little bit last week going in. We had talked about it when it was announced. And one of the things I said was, please don't judge Simona on and the team on where she's running this weekend. She hasn't done a road course race since 2015 in an Indy car. We have seen in recent years someone not being in a car for a year in an Indy car comes in and struggles mightily. So you're adding kind of a new program. You're adding a driver that hasn't done this in a long time. If she's better than anybody, that would be a win. And she wasn't quicker than anybody leading up into the race. And we didn't really get to see what her pace could be in the race because she had to fuel save, but she ran all the laps. And I think you'll start to see, I'm not going to say she's going to qualify 20th at Mid-Ohio, but I think you might be able to see her out qualify, you know, the, the two or three others near the back by the time she gets to Mid-Ohio. So one bit of clarification, I don't think she had run a road course, a permanent road course, since 2013. She ran St. Pete in a street race in 2015, but I don't think she ran any road, oh, road courses course? in 2015. Uh, Where was NOLA? Was, so, no, was the NOLA race in 15? or? I think she I did think that it was one. In 13. Oh, maybe it was. I think that was in 13, but I'll look that up as, as we're talking here. But I thought she did a terrific job. I think just uh, it was in 15. All yeah. right, point of clarifying. Uh, was Nola much of a racetrack in that particular year? <laughs> well, it, it was in the rain. You know, she finished fourth, by the way, in, in that race, and that was not a straightforward race. It was pouring down rain, and most of it was behind the pace car. Um, but the point is, we all think so, Simona is – at minimum, a mid-pack talent. And that's not said with mid-pack in IndyCar is really good, is really good. And in the right situation, right team, she is a front-running driver, as she was in 2013 and 2015. Absolutely. And and I thought the fact that, uh, you know, she finished ahead of a couple drivers, uh, Elio spun. OK, so that's one driver. But she was ahead of Dalton Kellett. Uh, she finished all the laps. Uh, Jimmy Johnson and, and Tatiana Calderon did not complete all the laps. They were a lap behind the leader. Uh, she was, you know, she's 20 seconds uh, down at the checkered flag. That's really impressive. And she wasn't that far off in qualifying, honestly, uh, given how big the racetrack is. I just thought it was a great, smooth first weekend. And uh, congrats to them and the team. And, and I know they had help, you know, from the standpoint of getting up to speed with Ed Carpenter's team. Uh, but that um, was a really good performance. What's her third race this year that's guaranteed? Nashville. 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 Okay. So she's going to be so, behind that everyone else has been to that track before. Um, 
I just think it's going to be baby steps. You know, I'm not, I don't, I don't think expecting her to make it to round two of qualifying is going to be realistic for no, no, no. mid Ohio. And, and the bottom line is that, okay, we, we all know that Tatiana is not really on the pace right now. Uh, Dalton is still not fully on the pace. He's close, but he's always going to be right now somewhere that qualifies near the back. And Jimmy's going to be back there somewhere near the back. Those are the three everyone else in the right circumstances you could say yeah they could qualify seventh and it wouldn't surprise me at all maybe even make the fast six uh so my point would be i think it's possible that she jumps ahead of those three people who are i think competent they're competent they're just the three that we generally see that just don't because of a, a number of factors are not going to be contending to move on in a normal circumstance into round number two. So maybe by race three, and part of it would be, and I think uh, somebody quoted Ed Carpenter as saying this, is, hey, don't judge her at all this weekend because we're slow. The team was really struggling. So you add that into it as well. She's learning this, and Connor and Rena's qualified 17th and 18th for this race. So hopefully it's a little better for the, the team in general at Mid-Ohio because Simona has, you know, I, I've campaign for drivers like elio that we need them in the series and simone is in that category too we have missed having her in the series she's a great personality and she's just a really really good race car driver agreed she's you said mid-pack at a minimum i think that's accurate she you give her the time and the you know the track the track uh experience in in the current configuration you give her some more time uh, she's going to run pretty close to uh, to some of the other guys that are running, you know, 14, 15. In an Ed Carpenter racing car, she's comparable when she's had some races. It's going to take more than two. But if she was in a full season program, I think she's beating both of her teammates on occasion. Oh, absolutely. On occasion. Uh, not regularly. I'm not willing to go to go there. But, you know. Hey, the point is, the, there's there should be a place in this series, and there should have been a place for her in this series in recent years. She's lost some valuable, she's lost some valuable time in her career from 2016, 17, 18, 19, 20, and really 21 that she should have been in this series. Okay, we'll see what we missed coming up next on Trackside. Hi, this is Graham Rahal, and you're listening to Trackside. On 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. So what we missed, Indy 44 just tweeted out a story from motorsport.com, a translated version ahead of the Formula One Canadian Grand Prix this weekend. And and Matt put it with a, a kind of a tag of could IndyCar be the future for Nicholas Latifi. But according to this report, Oscar Piastri who won the, I believe he won the F2 championship last year, very well regarded, is going to be Williams' driver in 2023, taking over from Latifi, and it might be almost immediately as well, uh, heading into his home race this weekend in Montreal. So there is some speculation that he'll that Latifi will do this weekend, and then he'll step out of the car. So what would be next? And this story that I see doesn't mention any car in particular, I think it's more just any time a driver with budget becomes available. And I know our first reaction would be, well, what's he going to do for us? 
Um, well, here's what he can do for a team. <laughs> I mentioned who goes Hollinger. They'd like to have a competent driver. That that's why sure. these teams would be interested. If you can find a driver that is competent, I'm not paying enough attention. I don't know if Nicholas Latifi is good or not. I know this, the other Williams driver that ran near the back, when you put him in a Mercedes, he runs up near the front. So I don't think you can totally judge him. But he's probably being asked to bring between 10 and $20 million for that seat right now. He can do a half, a third, a fourth of that and be welcomed with open arms to IndyCar and probably be pretty competent, if not better than that. So just keep an eye on that. Uh, winners and losers from the IndyCar weekend. Kurt, what do you got? Well, I th- I think Marcus Erickson's a big winner, not just from finishing second, but because Pato Award and Alex Pelot, uh were in the loser category for the weekend. Obviously, Joseph Newgarden fits that category. But I would take uh, Andretti Autosport as a whole, as, a, as the third winner, or another mm-hmm. winner with Rossi, Grosjean, and Herta finishing third, fourth, and fifth. To me, those are the winners. The two losers I mentioned, Award and, and uh, Polo. And really, Castroneves spinning late not a good not a good sign for uh, the way that race ended. Yeah, he was only running 16th as well at the end. So uh, uh, you know, we've talked before that if there's any question, it would really help the cause if Elio started picking up the pace a little bit. And Mid Ohio, the next race coming up after two weekends off, is when a lot of conversations really heat up and some decisions are going. Even though we're just starting the second half of the season, that's when things really get going also in the winner category i would mention ray hall letterman lanigan racing i know they've been struggling mightily for pace but they seem to have found something for race day and what uh they finished uh, jack harvey finished 13th lungard finished 10th and graham ray hall finished eighth. so we'll be able to discuss more of this coming up next week on the show yep it's uh it was a good weekend for ray hall for sure all right for Kurt Cavan, Sam Rumsa, I'm Kevin Lee. We will look to talk to you. I believe we're set for next Tuesday night. Otherwise, check your local listings, 7 until 9. We're going to do a lot of Twitter questions next week, so I hope you can join us, and we'll cover a lot of midseason aspects uh, on the program. Thanks for joining us on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.